I'm, I'm very fortunate to call John my friend, and, and uh, it's really exciting what's happening in John and Gracie's life, is I think God brought them here uh, for, for the purpose of, of starting our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and so that's going to be awesome, so thank you guys. My name's Tony Harden, if you guys don't know me, uh, I'm the discipleship minister here at the church, and I just want to reiterate the welcome to everyone, especially those guests out there. Uh, don't forget to fill that card out and take it to see Raph out in the lobby. We've got a gift for you. I'm not going to tell you what that gift is, but I think your coffee will be as hot as you want or your, or your water as cold as you want it to be. So please uh, take advantage of that. More than anything, we just want to say hello to you and we want uh, to know you. Today we're going to continue on in this series that we've called I Am. And I get the privilege of uh, standing in for Randy as he's... Uh, down south, uh, enjoying some time with his daughter who's graduating from graduate school in South Carolina. And uh, so it's going to be an honor as I uh, present to you uh, the title of the sermon today is going to be, I Am Adopted. And so we are all adopted into God's uh, family. And so it's going to be, hopefully this will be something that uh, will be interesting for you. Uh, If you want to follow along in the Bible, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, the first 21 verses in chapter 5. If you want to Pull that up on your phone or your iPad. Uh, that, that's cool, too. But we're going to get into that. Let's go ahead and uh, read. It's going to be the first 21 verses, so it's a lot of reading. It will also be on the screens if you want to follow along. So let's go ahead and get into it. <clears throat> Paul said, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Jesus Christ. In these verses, I think what Paul has given us is some do's and some don'ts, uh, first and foremost. And, you know, I I think that a lot of people want to know what those are. I know especially uh, Christians, new Christians, people that I've helped bring to faith, their their first question is, okay, what what do I do now? 
what next? And so do's and don'ts are, uh, are, are kind of important. It's not what brings us to salvation at all. We don't earn that. Uh, but when we, when, we, when we become children of, of Christ, then basically you know, our lives start to change. So let's go over some of those uh, do's and don'ts. Let's start with the don'ts. Those are, those are the ones that everybody hangs up on, I guess. So let's start with those. First of all, Paul says, don't engage in sexual immorality. Okay, that's a tough topic. And, and when you ask the question, what is sexual immorality, I think the answer you're going to get really is dependent upon who you ask. And so if I were to ask uh, a millennial or a baby boomer, you know, what, what sexual immorality is, I might get a couple of different answers. I'm kind of safe because I'm the Gen X. I'm right there in the middle. But, but if I were to ask those two, I would probably get a different answer. Let's think about what maybe most baby boomers uh, would say. And if, I, if you would ask that question, most baby boomers, the first thing that they might think about when you ask what sexual immorality is, is they might think about homosexuality. I mean, I, that's just kind of a, a fact of life that we have in that generation. That might be their first response. And I found that a lot of people think that that, that sin, that homosexuality, is a greater sin than others. And I think the reason some people think that is because it's something that they don't deal with. That same-sex attraction is something they don't deal with, so it's easy to think that that's a greater sin than yours. I've asked groups before. I've said, do you think homosexuality is a greater uh, sexual sin than other sins? And they're, without even thinking about it, a lot of times people say yes. And again, I believe that's because it's something that they don't deal with. It's easy to condemn someone else's sin as being greater than ours when it's something that we don't struggle with. And so it's just that they don't deal with it. And so I, 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 that's the only answer that I've got for it. Now, now the question that I ask, too, it, when I say, is this a worse sin? The answer to that, in my opinion, emphatically is no. Because God doesn't grade sin. Sin is sin. And when we get comfortable in the fact that our sin isn't as bad as others, then we're starting to tread on a slippery slope that I think leads to judgmentalism. And so I think we have to be careful about that. We're, we're, we're kind of pointing out the splinter in someone else's eye while we're looking over the two before that's sticking out of ours. We've all heard that before, right? So we become uh, judgmental. Now, is sexual sin uh, a greater sin? And I think that the Bible tells us that all sexual sin of all kinds is a greater sin than others. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. He said, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins occur outside the body. But, but sexual sin is against your own body. And we are bought with a price. We're not our own. And so, therefore, we should honor God with our bodies. And so sexual sin of all kinds is greater uh, than other sins. You know, whether it's homosexuality or promiscuity or extramarital affairs, sex outside of marriage, divorce or pornography. Pornography is really bad. In, in our culture. You know, when I was younger, it was hard to find. Now it's two key strokes away. But all of those sins are all greater sins than others, and none greater than, than the other. Paul also said another don't. He said, don't associate with sinful behavior. Now, now let's, uh, let's, let's be careful here. He didn't say don't associate with sinners, right? If he said that, we couldn't even sit in the room with ourselves. I mean, so, so we're all sinners. He doesn't say don't associate with sinners. He says don't partake in their sinful behavior. That's what that means. 
Jesus hung out with tax collectors and he hung out with prostitutes, but he wasn't either one of those. As a matter of fact, Jesus forgave them without condition, but then encouraged them to, to turn away from their sinful life. But he didn't take part in their sinful behavior. We're called to love sinners, just like Jesus loved sinners. To show them Jesus first. You know, I love Francis Chan. You guys know who Francis Chan is. I, I really like his preaching. That he was in California and he was moving to San Francisco. And so he was before a bunch of college students. And they asked him, when you go to San Francisco, it's like you're going to be in a place where homosexuality is culturally acceptable. What are you going to tell them? And he said, and without backing away from the truth, because I do believe homosexuality is a sin, and the Bible tells us that, but without backing away from that truth, he said, I'm just going to tell them, try Jesus first. Try Jesus. You know, he's the one that saves us. He's the one. When we, when we accept Jesus into our heart, that's when we want to, to, to do these do's and not do the, the don'ts. And so try Jesus first. Show him Jesus first. If we're required to stop sinning, before we can come to Jesus, we're all doomed, right? And so we can't beat up on people and tell them they got to clean their act up or else it's, we're not eligible either. Jesus says, come as you are and let me change you. Another thing that Paul says, he says, don't participate in filthiness, foolish talk, or crude humor. And that's a tough one in our culture today too because everything is just laced with it. I mean, you would have had to have been living in a bubble if you didn't hear what Stephen Colbert said the other night about Trump. And I'm not talking about politics at all. Don't get me wrong. It's just what he said, in my opinion, I can't even repeat it here, crossed the line in our culture that hasn't been crossed before, but basically it's been deemed as acceptable. You know, recently I was reading an article about Miley Cyrus. And we all know about Miley, about her antics, but in this article she's saying that she's turning away from this crudeness and this vulgarity that she's been engaging in because there's a good portion of, of the people that are her audience that really aren't into it. And it was kind of funny because in the article about every, every other sentence she was dropping an F-bomb, so I guess hard, habits are hard to break, but I, but I applaud her for recognizing that, that this isn't something that everybody really wants to see and wants to hear. Okay, here's another tough one. Paul says, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on much wine. And I want to be real careful here in saying what I'm saying. But drinking in itself isn't a sin. And that's what I read when I read the Bible. And anything I'm saying today, guys, please pick this up and check it out for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. I encourage you, uh, know this, study it, be a scholar of, of God's word. But drinking is not something that I believe that the Bible uh, prohibits but abuse of alcohol and drunkenness is definitely considered a sin. And that's what Paul is telling us here. I believe drinking is a personal conviction, uh, but we have to be careful not to slip into drunkenness, and we especially need to be careful uh, not to cause others to do the same. And, you know, Paul's also saying that, that uh, well, let me, get, let me get back to this. Some people say that moderate consumption of alcohol has health benefits, but the, but the qualifier for all of that is don't start drinking if you're not because of it. Because there's, there are dire consequences. There, there, there may be health benefits, but there's dire consequences to, to abuse or overuse of alcohol. And it goes way beyond just how you're going to feel the next day. You know, we have dire health consequences from overuse of alcohol or any other substance. And so... 
Does God give us this, this uh, prohibition for drunkenness because he's a buzzkill? It's like, no, I, th- I believe it's because he knows what's best for us. Because he knows what's best for us. I believe that with all of my heart. So, so here at the church, we're not going to judge people for responsible drinking. But I will tell you this, we don't promote it. And we don't allow alcohol on our uh, premises, on the campus, in any way for any reason. And so it's not something that we really want to promote or cause other people to slip and to fail. So, so those are some of the don'ts. Those are some of the don'ts. But now, Paul also gave us some of the do's, the things that we should do. And one thing he said was we should imitate God. We should imitate God. And Paul says in other verses that we should that imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying imitate God. Live our lives modeled after Christ. John in 1 John 2, 6 says those that abide in him must. Doesn't say should, doesn't say might. says must walk as Jesus walked. In other words, we must imitate Christ's life. Because see, I think Christ lived this life, he became a man among us, and he gives us this perfect example. He spent three and a half, four years giving us this perfect example of how we can go about making disciples at making disciples while we love people and love God at the same time. Here at Journey Church, our vision is to make disciples that make disciples. And it's not because it's just what we want to do, but it's because what Christ has given us an example of and told us that he wants us to do. Another thing that Paul says that we should do, he says we should walk in love. And that's the opposite of being judgmental, right? We should walk in love. We don't hate people because of their sins. Again, we'd have to hate ourselves first because we're all sinners. We should show everybody love. We should show everybody love so that they can see the love of Christ, so they can love others. That's what Jesus told us. He said people will know that we belong to him. Because of the love we show for one another. Paul also said that we need to discern what pleases God. Think about this for a second. What if, each and every one, what if the first thing that we did in the morning when we woke up, the first words that came out of our mouths, the first question we asked is, God, how can I please you today? What if we all did that when we woke up in the morning? What would traffic jams look like? There wouldn't be any road rage, would there? You know, what if we did that? I'm serious. What if we got up and said, what, what can we do to please God today? What kind of culture, what kind of world, what kind of place would this be? Amen. So I encourage you, when you get out of bed, think about that. Maybe write it down, maybe set it on alarm, but get up and say, God, how can I please you today? And we need to discern what pleases God, and it's not really that hard. Here's another one. Paul said we need to make good use of our time. That's tough. Because in our culture right now, folks, we don't have time for anything. I've come to believe that. We don't have time for much. You see, when we, uh, when we, we basically set our priorities, or our priorities get set for us more, more than often. And so all the little stuff crowds out the important stuff. And if we, if we made our, our, our spiritual life, if we made our spiritual journey, our walk toward Jesus, if we made that priority in our life, it would probably push some other things out. But I'm telling you, those things just aren't nearly as important as your eternity and the person's eternity that's, set, eternity that's sitting next to you. You know, whether it's sports or hobbies, 
or our, our, our children's activities, whatever. Those things, those things tend to crowd out our faith. You know, some people, you know, God tells us he wants our first fruit. God tells us it's me first. But in our culture, I'm just being totally honest, in our culture, we, we say we're going to give God what's left over. But folks, there ain't nothing left over. So we really have to work on making first things first and giving God his first fruits. Paul also said, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be afraid to let the Spirit work through you and show through you. You know, I was, I was thinking about this, this, this Facebook meme that's going around about concerts. You're supposed to name all the concerts that you went to when you were younger, when and where and who it was. And I, I really didn't want to do that because that's a pretty long list for me because I liked concerts when I was younger. And I, I'll, I'll go ahead and just date myself and say my first concert was Billy Squire. And you guys are probably thinking, yeah, she laughs. You're probably thinking, oh, who the heck is that? So I thought he was pretty big in, in the 80s. But when I would go to those concerts, sometimes I would see the same guys down in the front. Didn't matter who was in concert, they were the same guys. They were really into this. And I mean, when the band came out, they were throwing their arms up. They were yelling and screaming. And, you know, when the ballads started playing, the Bic lighters came out, you know, waving back and forth. You know, today's version of that is the cell phone waving back and forth. So inhibitions were gone. And I, go, I still go to some shows today. It's still the same way. Inhibitions are absolutely gone. People just let it go. And they're not ashamed at all. But when we come in this building and the guy next to us raises his hands, we think, gosh, that guy's weird. There's something wrong with that, folks. I mean, just inherently there's something wrong with that. It's like we need to just, our inhibitions with God, need, we just need to let it go. We need to sing his praises. Paul also said we need to give thanks. Folks, for what God has done for us. Let's not even talk about creating the world and everything in it and us. What God has done for us, what Jesus did for us, he came. God took on flesh and came to this earth. And he lived life like us, tempted like us in every way. And he was obedient all the way to the cross, even death on the cross. He died on that cross and was buried in the grave. And he was resurrected to a new life so that we can have an eternal life with him. Guys, when we acknowledge that, we should be on our knees every day thanking him for who he is. Paul's right. We should give thanks. He also said we should submit to one another out of reverence. For Christ and I believe that's kind of a tough one too I really do and what we did just coming together out of reverence for Christ I've led a lot of groups my wife and I've led many groups in this church small groups and I can think of one several years ago that we led there are about 12 people in the group and when we started meeting and it was really kind of neat to see these people come in and kick off their shoes in our house and really make themselves comfortable. We would unlock the door before the group meeting, and they didn't even knock. They just came in. And so a couple of years after this group had, had got going, I decided, man, this is so great. We need to, we need to fix this where other people can enjoy this too. So we're going to, we're told my group, we're going to multiply. We're going to take half of us, and one's going to go this way, and one's going to go that way, and we're going to invite other people to join. 
And you would have thought I'd, I had done a sacrifice in the middle of the living room. They were tore up about it. They said, I can't believe you'd even suggest that. We're friends. We've gotten so close. We bore our souls to one another. It's like, that's just unthinkable that you would want to do that. And so I, I kind of partially gave in, and a, one couple left on their own. But I'm going to tell you, within 8 to 12 months, one by one, they all, they all went away. They all went away. And, and, and so those, these people, this closeness, as they said we had, this, this wonderful thing, this friendship that we had was so deep as what they would describe it really was just riding right on the surface. We hadn't borne our souls to each other. We hadn't trusted each other, hadn't become friends with each other. We were just kind of going through the motions. And that for my wife and I, that hurt. That really hurt us, deeply hurt us because we thought we were friends. As best I could try, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with these people and stay friends with them. And I don't have any worry about offending them because one by one they left this church. I take responsibility for that group, but I learned a whole lot. And I learned a lot of things about how not to do things. But the problem is, and I don't really blame them, the problem is that our culture, in our world of subdivisions and cliques, you know, we really keep to ourselves and we don't open up. And folks, I'll tell you, if we don't start trying to do that, it's going to be an uphill climb, this journey of ours toward Jesus. And so that's why we have journey groups here at the church. And I can look over this crowd right now and probably accurately say that most of you aren't involved. And I would really pray, and I would ask you to pray about considering being involved in these groups where we just come together and we try to live our lives as Christians together. It's so important, just like Paul said, we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We shouldn't try to do this on our own. We really shouldn't. We should love one another and make an intentional effort to make friends in Christ. Okay, when I started this conversation, I told you that our title today was it's not do's and don'ts. It's not of trying to earn your salvation. That won't work. It doesn't work. But the title of this sermon today is I Am Adopted. We are adopted. Have you ever thought about the picture of adoption? I know so many people out there in the audience are involved in adoption. It's a beautiful thing. Think about a child who doesn't have a father, and one day he has a father. That's a beautiful relationship. And Christians, we're, we're adopted. We have a father. God is our father. In Ephesians, Paul talks about God as father about eight times. And so we are adopted sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. Let me give you a little history of children in the first century. And this is a little, might be a little distressing, but it's true. You can check this out. Children in the first century weren't really valued that much, especially in impoverished families. You know, it was, it was just absolutely, everybody, it, was, it was just important, it was imperative that a family had a son who would carry on the family name. And so if the first child was a daughter... Sometimes they would take the daughter, the, the baby to the river and tie a rock around it and drown it. And a lot of times when families couldn't afford to, to keep their children, they would take them to the dump, basically, and abandon them there. When I was in Israel about a month ago, that we walked through what was called the, the Dung Gate. Remember that, Eric? And it was called the Dung Gate because that's where all the refuge was taken outside the city walls, and they would pile it up uh, in the dump. And that's where... Just to give you a picture, that's where they would abandon children. They would abandon them on the dung heap. 
Then anybody that walked by could take those children. They could do anything they wanted with them. So imagine young girls being pressed into prostitution and boys being pressed into slavery. But when Jesus came, he changed the way people thought about the children. The Christians started going to the dung heap and, and taking the children as their own and adopting them in their family because, see, and back then, their theology started to inform their activity. They started to really rearrange their lives to match what their faith is. And wouldn't that a wonderful model for us today? So there was value to the children. Jesus said... In Matthew 19, he said, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Doesn't that take on a new meaning when we know what the value of children were in his time? So you remember in that story, the disciples were trying to get the kids away from Jesus. They were trying to get the trash kids away, trying to tell them, go away. But no, Jesus was saying, no, bring them. Bring them to me. We're all sinners. We're all filthy sinners. We're not worth anything. There's no value to us when we sin and offend God. And we don't deserve Jesus' grace. But what does he say? He says, come to me. He says, let them come to me. Let them draw near. Folks, God is our Father and we're his kids. Jesus showed us the Father heart of God in his ministry. He revealed to us that we can be adopted into God's family. We're adopted into a new identity when we become Christians. You know, when a, when a child is adopted, their legal status changes. They take on the last name of their parents. And you know, and when we become this, this adopted uh, father of God, our, our, our identity changes. When we're sons and daughters of God, our identity changes. You see, we're not, we, we, all those other titles kind of go away. We're not conservatives or liberals or Republicans or Democrats, not Democrats, not gay, not straight. We become, we take on the Father's name. We become a Christian. That's worth clapping about. We take on his name. We bear his name. And when we do that, when, when, we, when we are accepted, we bear his name, then the do's, and the don'ts become desires, not, not just obligations. The do's we want to do, the things that, that we shouldn't do, we don't want to do. It doesn't mean we become perfect, but our theology starts to inform our activity, right? Ephesians 5 shows us our identity both before and after we become adopted children of God. But we're also adopted into a family. We're brought into this family by our big brother, Jesus. Amen. We're brought into the family by our big brother. And when that happens, it's no longer you, it's no longer me, it's no longer I. Paul says it's us. Amen. And us is the church. And that's what Paul's talking about here. This family of adopted sons and daughters of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews 2.17 says Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way. You know, we're the rebellious kids. The Father, God didn't abandon us. It's through sin we ran away from home. And we rebelled against the Father. And Jesus came into human history. And Jesus became a man. And he made it his goal. He made it his, his, his ultimate goal to bring his brothers and sisters back to the Father. 
He walked on this earth. He, was, he suffered temptation just like we do, but he remained obedient. And he was then and still is now on a rescue mission for all of us to bring us all back to the Father. And it's a beautiful picture. To bring these wayward children to the Father who want, to be adopt, who want them to be adopted into his family. God wants us to be his adopted sons and daughters. And without the man Jesus... Our firstborn big brother, we are lost. Without him, we, we have no hope. Folks, I also think that we're adopted into worship. Didn't we have some awesome worship this morning? And Worship goes beyond just songs, but, but that was an awesome display that was going on right here in front of you. You know, there's a lot of derby parties this weekend. We know we had the derby. There's a little one going on over here, you know, right here in, in the left. But, you know, some people, you know, got together and they wore their nice hats. And, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of bad stuff that was going on, too. I'm sure there were a lot of bars that hosted parties. And, you know, probably even the worst thing you can imagine, they probably had karaoke. You know, so, but so there was probably a lot of kind of drinking and everything that was going on all across the state and even across the nation. Because, you see, folks, I think God calls us to come together. God builds us that way. And that's, look, look at us here. We're here today. We're coming together uh, to worship God. And I believe if we don't come together for this, we're going to come together for something, right? And so isn't this worthwhile that we're here today to celebrate, to, to sing songs? And, you know, like I said, if it wasn't for God, we'd find something else uh, to come together for. We're adopted into worship. We're adopted into a new identity. We're adopted into a family. We've got to give thanks for that. We walk in love. All those do's and don'ts are important. You know, in conclusion, you know, we are adopted sons and daughters of Christ. That is our identity. That is who we are, who we belong to. You know, you may be sitting out here uh, today and you've heard something that maybe convicts you about your walk with Christ. And if you do, I would just ask you to pray about what's crowding out your faith. I'd love to pray with you as well. Please feel free to contact me, contact Randy. Or maybe you're out here and, and you can't call God your father. You haven't been adopted into the family. And if that's the case, today is the day. Please come up. I'm going to be standing up here after all said and done during the last song. I would love to talk to you about starting your journey, about becoming an adopted son and daughter of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you for being our dad. Even though we don't deserve it, Lord, you call on us anyway. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And it's... With all our heart, we worship you and sing your praises. And it's in your son name, son's name we pray. Amen.